You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 181. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be back with you again this week as we prepare for our upcoming live webinars and special in-person seminars. We have a busy show for you, starting with a brief look at some of the news from this past week, including Biden's pardon of all federal offenses of simple marijuana possession as a first step towards potential decriminalization. Brennan has prepared a segment I am looking forward to as a cautionary tale looking into the precipitous drop of once market darling Zebic Absorption, symbol XBC on the TSX, a company we have reviewed a number of times on behalf of listeners dating back to 2019. Each time we saw revenue growth but noted red flags and have avoided the stock. This past week, Zebic which is a provider of sustainable gas solutions used in energy, mobility, and industry applications, saw its share price halted after it sought creditor protection. It's basically bankrupt. Brennan looks back at this cautionary tale. Brett hits our mailbag and answers a listener question on how the Ukraine-Russian war impacted agricultural and medical supplies and the, the impacts of farming yields and the effect on grocery prices. I have prepared a brief segment on bear markets, generally where the current bear market ranks historically as well. And finally, in our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Aaron takes a look at a question from a listener on Micron Technologies, Inc., symbol MU on the NASDAQ, which designs, manufactures, and sells memory and storage products worldwide. The viewer asks what why what appears to be a growth stock is trading at only six times earnings and ask if the stock offers value. So let's get into the show. I'm going to welcome Aaron and my host, our co-hosts as well, the Killer Bees. I don't know, somebody, Brett and Brennan, how are you guys doing? <laughs> doing well. Who came up with that yeah. name for Brett and Brennan? The Killer you Bees, know, I don't right? even remember. It was we Ryan. Don't know. It was Ryan. I, yeah, I don't remember who did it. It was Ryan. It was definitely okay. me. There's no so funny witty. story involved. So it's got to be to me. Ah, I don't know. Isn't it like a Boston Bruins reference, or I don't even know what it is. Way back, it was the only reason he hired Although me. I, I hate the I, ha- I hate the Bruins. So I don't know what that says. Speaking about hockey, oh. is Brett uh, Vancouver Brennan, right? starts like tonight. the two bees, right? The killer bees, Brett and Brennan. Yep. So there you go. Yep. Yeah, the NHL season really kicks into full swing tonight. Um, It started, well, it actually started on the weekend in Europe, but um, that was kind of an ad hoc game. But last night there was two games, and uh, there's a pretty full slate tonight. The Canucks playing the Oilers. Brennan's adopted team, so that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm a a Fairweather fan. You uh, are an Oilers fan, Brennan? Well, if the Oilers suck this year, he won't be. But if they're good (laughs) this year, he will be. Uh, that, that's you know, the definition of a, a they'll make a the playoffs that's they'll make the playoffs you know but uh well, but yeah, yeah i'm definitely a fair fair weather fan and uh i used to be a vancouver fan until you know maybe a year ago when i uh had to uh pick the better franchise um you know and i said to ryan as long as a western canadian hockey team does well i'm okay with it uh which yeah. ryan basically said to me blasphemy um, it was but, impressive how the Oilers uh, were basically won the lottery several years in a row and got the best player on the planet by being the worst franchise on the planet <laughs> it's a, it's for a number of years, and it's very impressive. It's how unprecedented. They have I don't managed think to do fairly little with that. Yeah, I think yeah. they got out of the first round finally last year. Anyway, yes, that's I true. kid. The, the Oilers do on Brandon's paper look a lot though. better than the Canucks for sure, without a doubt. They are. You're but uh, the Canucks high. are. The Canucks are a different story that we don't want to get into today. 
Let's get into this story that we got up here, Bard, Bi- Barden. Who's Barden? Barden? That's what I want to know. He, he's an amalgam of Biden and Pardon, but he, he uh, pardoned all federal offenses of simple marijuana possession um, last week. Many people think that is a first step towards, you know, full legalization. Um, I'm going to quote directly the CEO of True Leave, Kim Rivers. She said. I can tell you that in terms of full-blown legalization, again, that is going to take some work. Uh, we do need to make sure that it is a thoughtful program. That is, uh, it does ensure that folks who are currently utilizing cannabis are able to continue. She said she was hopeful that this move is a first of many steps to come. So uh, right now, I mean, because cannabis is a schedule one drug, uh, a cannabis business in the U.S. is subject to internal IRS code section. There's an obscure section, well, it's 280E, which disallows the use of standard business deductions by any company that traffics in federally controlled substances. That includes cannabis companies, although it's legal in many states. Uh, it's very punitive to the uh, financial statements of these companies. So some kind of safe banking, some kind of act is likely needed to continue to uh, have more money go into that sector from the U.S. And, and have a more positive spin. So this is probably a first step. It may be a step that is incremental and takes some time. Well, you think that it so would be a first that? step. What, what, like one thing that I'm curious about is, so I, this, this, this would be people in possession of, federal, of marijuana that were charged federally. Um, but that doesn't mean yeah. Biden can't pardon people that were charged at the state level. So, for example, if you're in Texas and you're charged with possession um, at the state level, that those people would not be pardoned. I would imagine, and I, I don't know, but I would imagine that the number of people that were charged federally at the federal level with possession is relatively a, a low number. I could be completely wrong, but are there were there any specifics in the article? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, uh, I don't do, Brett, do you have the number? I think it was, yeah, I mean, off I don't the top of my head, I'm thinking it was like 6,000 or something. Yeah, it was 6,000. I, mean, I may be wrong. Yeah, 6,500. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I read somewhere else too that only like, I think it was like one or two were in prison for it. If that, it might have been not right. even. It, it was very they low. Would that get was, their records erased. Yeah, that, that? that was yeah. the main thing was yeah. the right. employment factor in it. Yeah. 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 yeah the, the bottom line, I mean, it, for those who are looking for federal legalization or, you know, some kind of safe bank, it is a step for that industry in the right direction. It's going to take a number of more steps mm-hmm. and that may take years. It might take months. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a couple names in the sector that do have profitability. It is a sector that needs consolidation in Canada and in the U.S., um, and is a sector that continues to have high risk. It may have some upside if those that legislation moves forward, that type of uh, safe banking acts that makes it less punitive for these companies to operate where they are legal in most states, many states in the US. So yeah. we'll, well monitor I mean, that going if you forward. are if you are pardoning all people for possession of marijuana, then there's really no argument that you shouldn't be in full support of just removing any law that mm-hmm. criminalizes possession of marijuana. Which, of course, you know, being able to produce it seems it logical. It's a but... totally different thing. <laughs> it seems but... logical, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One last thing is the market did get excited initially. Oh yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, but I uh, mean, I many of the stocks actually. were up. Yeah. Thirty plus percent, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're up thirty percent. Uh, yeah, but then they couple days after. Right back down. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Which is yeah, typical. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Market got excited then back to normal. And then, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's probably some short covering there too, right? There's, oh, there's for sure. There's probably some short covering. There's, you know, a little bit of interest comes in, which moves the stock price up and you have just a little bit. And then when you have some positive news combined with even a small reaction in the stock price, then you get other, you know, momentum oriented investors mm-hmm. thinking, you know, they don't even really know what's going to happen, but they're thinking, oh, maybe is this a wave that I can ride up? When they find they can't, they, they typically sell. Back to 2017. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll continue to monitor that. Now we had um, the reverse Kramer ETF, if you want to pull that one up too, isn't it basically, or the just the... Yeah, reverse Kramer, which I don't know how long the internet has joked about for this point. It's been, I've seen it at least for four or five years now that oh, yeah. 
I even brought it up the other day on, on the forever. podcast. I mean, there, yeah. there's like, there's one on Kathy Woods as well. It's yeah. already yeah. out there. As Yeah, it's in the, uh, that article. But yeah, so I mean, again, not really. I mean, it's, At it's least she a has running a joke. So what does this thing do? Is shorts the stocks that yeah. he says to buy and buys the stocks that he says mm-hmm. to short? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I mean, once again, it's a gimmicky. You know, we. That's got to be an easy job as an investment manager, right? Yeah. You just got to watch Kramer. This, <laughs> this one is take better. some notes, and there you go. There's your investment yeah. research. Yeah. Yeah. I disagree. It might you be difficult to I'm, watch I'm him. So sure, it will do. It might fine be very difficult is going to down. go through his show. I, my understanding is that Kramer basically recommends you know a couple hundred stocks over the course of any mm-hmm. period of time. So you're essentially buying the market. So if the market's going down, I'm sure they'll look smart. And when the market's going up, they, well, he has the famous so video that goes around there: the Colin Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns is fine. Bear Stearns <laughs> yeah. is fine. Like six Ryan days later, or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 It, you know, six days. I love later, that one. Company implodes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, well, like, how can you know that it's fine? You're not there looking at all the accounts and, and the individual records, and that's the thing about the banking in the U.S. It's a very complicated thing to know what's mm-hmm. underneath the hood. For right? sure. So, yeah. for anybody to say like it's fine, you can say, "Well, I don't see the evidence. It tells me it's not fine," but that's different than saying it's fine. Anyways. Yeah, for sure. Now, if we move on to, there was some uh, semiconductor news. Yes, I think semiconductor. some of the yeah, we got some. And this is kind of germane to Aaron's company that he's going to talk about today, Micron yeah. Technology. And I've chatted with Brett a couple times about the mm-hmm. semiconductor and chip space, and he's he's. Well, you guys should chat about it right area. now. <laughs> I, I heard we're on a podcast. We are. Talk amongst yourselves about this article. Well, <laughs> feel free because yeah. I'm not going to talk. No, you're, you're yeah, gonna so, know so basically, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna be I'm going to be talking about Micron and our your stock our, our take, which is a, a a chip manufacturing company. But this is basically what I've been seeing after you know several quarters of very strong results. Like yeah, Nvidia, uh, they had poor results. Um, AMD, I believe, um, poor the results weren't great. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about Micron as well. So yeah, we're we're definitely seeing you know, in this space, in this chip space. And then of course, well, what does that mean? Like, what is that signaling? Because where do chips go? Well, they go into automobiles, they go into consumer electronics and, uh, you know, PCs, smartphones. So it's it's perhaps a signal that um, the economy that, that spending is, is, is starting to started a weekend a big part of it is inventory people were just mm-hmm. stocking up on inventory like crazy it, whether it was micron memory or it was nvidia oh. gpus mm-hmm. all, every all down the supply chain they're all stocking up so now they have this massive backlog of inventory yeah. so all the subsequent purchases are, are just going away and that's is commercial it's consumer it's everywhere mm-hmm. And they were uh, not, stocking up on that inventory because largely because of the supply chain. Supply chain, yeah. Storages, so right, yeah. The the supply leads were huge, especially think about shipping containers. I'll I'll put up a graph afterwards. I don't have it on hand. Is they went from like eighteen thousand dollars a shipping container in 2020, 2021, and now they're at a few thousand dollars. And when you're which shipping is where these they things, were beforehand. Yeah. Which yeah. is so we've normalized, normalized now and but when you're shipping things, these are most uh semiconductor manufacturing is in uh China, Korea, and Japan, and Taiwan, of course. And when you're shipping it primarily to the States, it's going to be expensive. Just purely from that, the lead times are huge. So all these companies, huge inventory across the board. And mm. that, that this is the story of it. They're all producing like these ramping up production. And when you're ramping up semiconductor production, it's not like some production where you can just turn it off and on. You're looking years down the line. So it's just insane how much they were expecting this bull market to continue. Now they're all wrong-footed at this point. Like today, right. so uh, it's it, sorry. Can, go, I'll let you finish there. Yeah, T- today uh, Intel they laid off a thirty percent of their staff or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Which part of it I'm guessing is because they're uh, offloading Mobileye, which is their AI um, self-driving program, which it was expected for a while, but they're. IPOing into a poor, poor market condition for it, but yeah, you can. Continue. Yeah, one of the worst, one of the worst uh, 
times to IPO mm-hmm. right now, especially when you're talking about a technology company that's likely pre pre profitability and pre revenue. But um, so, but in terms of the yeah yes, in terms of like the inventory buildup. So I mean, the question really is, you know, is is this just a matter of letting the inventory letting the inventory de- decline, but the underlying, the underlying consumer spending, the underlying demand is basically still there. So then they're just going to start to pick up again, maybe halfway through next year or the latter half of next year. Or is this also a sign is the buildup in inventory also a sign that the economy actually is slowing and there's just going to be less demand. So they want to, they want to offload that um, as much as they can, which is typically what you, what precipitates um, an economic downturn, right? Is that there's a major inventory buildup, things are going really well, high demand, companies want to build up a lot of inventory, demand starts to decline, they've got too much inventory, so they have to start laying people off and um, reducing production. So it's, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit in Micron, with Micron. And, you know, one of the big things, one of the big themes right now as well, you were talking, Brett, about all of the issues with um, getting semiconductor supply from Asia into the North American market. Well, one of the big themes right now with Intel, Micron, other companies is reshoring deglobalization of the semiconductor supply chain. So tens and billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars are being spent over the next 10 years on building um, the ability inside the United States to build semiconductors. So less dependent on, and uh, this is, you know, this should potentially be an opportunity. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, you, you yeah, go, go, go. No, no, you go. You go. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say it's an opportunity if you're a long-term player. Long-term, yes. Yeah, you, like if you're looking two to three years, even at this point, because mm-hmm. semiconductors do kind of move in a cycle, especially as consumer demand. It's a TikTok, like one generation of silicon will do great, the next will do poor. Mm-hmm. And we're in the off cycle and it's all coinciding with the just general market lower demand and then consumer lower demand. It's kind of just the perfect storms brewing right now. But if you're a long-term player, if you're buying a company with a better balance sheet, you should be good in the long term. But it's it is more speculative at this point, especially in the coming year. I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that if you look at um, if you look at like the cyclical swings, you know, you're usually t- you're usually looking about it like a three-year cycle. Mm-hmm. I think so. You know. Yeah. No. Uh, well, I would say on that, I followed a company for like a decade, Photon Control, that was provided ancillary products for the semiconductor industry. And, you know, over that cycle, there was uh, two, two to three times where they went through bit, essentially a boom and bust. They'd have a boom almost three years and then like two years where it would cycle down. Uh, Brett mentioned, I mean, one thing we liked about the business, Brett mentioned having a good balance sheet. They always had like a massive cash rich balance sheet for a company of their size. So it would go, it would have higher highs and lower lows, but it, you know, the stock price followed a very cyclical end market. And, you know, the semiconductors over that time had a cycle, like Aaron was saying, you maybe have a three year boom time, maybe two or three year downtime, whether that happens this time or not, it's not a guarantee, but it has it always has been a cyclical end market from what I've followed over the years. And like even following the semiconductor indexes, indices, uh, it's just a boom bust cycle. They tend to overbuild and then, and then you get hit hard and then, you know, uh, some companies get punished and then it, you, know, you, you get another cycle at some point. As it works with many industries, but as you said, Ryan, having yeah. that solid balance sheet helps yes. as an investor, you know, that there's not going to be an issue with, um, just maintaining the business, uh, surviving, like there's no debt service, potentially there's a lot of cash and maybe there's an opportunity when the market is down to take some of that cash and buy a competitor. It's one of the things that we look at. If we're ever going to invest in a very cyclical company, we just, the, the balance sheet is paramount in terms of importance when you're looking at it, because they're always, no matter, you know, they say, oh, this is new, this is different this time. It never is. There's always a cycle. So you have to have the protection of the uh, on the balance sheet in terms of when there is a downturn, that company can survive and then th- come out the other side and thrive. But it, it needs that. Like, I would not look at, doesn't matter how bullish you are on a commodity or a cyclical stock, whatever you're looking at, um, if they were levered up and didn't have a good balance sheet and everything look, looks great right now, 
when there is a downturn, that's where you can not only, you know, you can lose all your capital in those type of situations. And that's what you want to try to avoid in, in the stock market is losing capital. And that's a way to do it if you're making a bet on commodity based businesses or cyclical based businesses. Is that all we're going to touch on that right now? I think so. Yeah, I yeah, think. Okay. So Brennan, I think was going to kick off his segment. He's going to look at a company, Zevic Absorption, which we've had many questions on over the past several years, dating back to 2019 when we originally looked at it. Um, we've always, you know, saw great revenue from the business, good growth. We've inter we interviewed management, uh, years ago in person as well before the pandemic. Uh, but there were always either very high valuations, some red flags, Brennan's going to go through those and over promising and under delivering, which from a management team is always a red flag for ours. So that, uh, Brennan's going to go through that story now and we can discuss it following. I sure am. So Zebic Adsorption XBC on the TSX, uh, it's currently trading at a price of 51 cents, but it actually is halted right now, uh, which we'll get into why. Um, but Zebec is a provider of sustainable gas solutions used in energy, mobility, and industry applications. It specializes in deploying a portfolio of proprietary technologies for the distributed production of hydrogen, renewable natural gas, oxygen, and nitrogen. Uh, the company has nine manufacturing facilities, 17 clean tech service centers, and four sales offices spanning over four continents. So as Ryan said, we have discussed the stock on the podcast a few times in the past, uh, and I've actually included them on this chart here that I have up on the screen. Um, but if you're just listening, I will go over, you know, when we actually discuss them. So the first time we touched on the stock was November of 2019 at $2.05. I covered the company as a star of the week after the share price was off to a strong year, up about 185% year to date at that time. And it was driven by a hot green energy market or sector, uh, good financial results and growth in its backlog. Now, the second time that we discussed the stock on the podcast was December of 2020, uh, when it traded at about $7.20. Uh, and we discussed it again in a stock versus stock battle where we compared Zbeck and Greenlane uh, Renewables. And Ryan noted at that time that insiders had been selling with the CEO cashing out 2.3 million as well. There was no insider buying. And he also said that the company remained far from profit and traded at 12 times sales. And the last time that we touched on the stock was actually just uh, three about three weeks ago. Uh, Brett covered it, um, looking again, uh, re or sorry, revisiting our previous stock battle of Zbeck and Greenlane Renewables, which we all confirmed uh, again that Greenlane was the better between the two due to being closer to profit and having a cash rich balance sheet, all while Zbeck had significant top line revenue growth, but it continued to lack consistent profitability and was levered up. So let's just take a look at the company's financial guidance and their actual results and how it lines up with those with that guidance. So looking at the 2019 fiscal year, uh, they actually did pretty well, um, you know, coming to meet this guidance where they uh, surpassed their revenue guidance, they surpassed their adjusted EBITDA guidance, uh, but their net earnings guidance did come in a little light uh, where they were two and a half million uh, or sorry, their actual results were light from the guidance where they were two and a half million dollars short. Now, looking at the fiscal 2022 guidance, um, they ended up management ended up indicating that they expected to do about 10.2 million in adjusted EBITDA and 6.8 million in net earnings, where they actually only produced a loss of 22 million in adjusted EBITDA and a, a loss of about 32 million in net earnings. So maybe we can say that uh, we can give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that was just, you know, a COVID influence during the 2020 year. However, Looking at fiscal 2021, uh, again, the company came short of its guidance. Uh, they met their revenue guidance of, you know, with a midpoint of $120 million. Uh, however, 
they were short on their guidance for adjusted EBITDA of 4.2 million, where they actually ended up posting a loss of 8.8 million in adjusted EBITDA. And they refused to provide net earnings guidance because they probably knew that they weren't going to be profitable and they ended up losing $23.5 million. So you can see here, uh, as Ryan said, um, they, they put some targets out there, they had some guidance, but they just kept failing to meet it. Now, in the most recent quarter too, I also want to note, this is Q2 of 2022, the company had net debt of $34.3 million. Now, why is the stock halted? Well, on September 29th, 2022, the company announced that it was seeking creditor protection under the company's Creditors Arrangement Act. And as a result, trading in the common shares of ZBEC were halted and the court issued an order authorizing the corp to conduct a sale and investment solicitation process with the goal of maximizing value for shareholders. Um, so essentially, the company has gone bankrupt. That's what happens when you just aren't profitable, you have debt, you can't service that debt. So ultimately, Zbeck serves as another cautionary tale of big promises with lofty business targets and under-delivering by management. They had great top-line revenue growth, but an inability to generate consistent profit. And even without considering the bankruptcy and that shareholders are essentially going to be left with zero, the stock is down over 95% since early 2021, uh, when, you know, Ryan was saying that, uh, we definitely would avoid the stock. Um, so yeah, cautionary tale next week, I will look into another stock, which we had also highlighted as a cautionary tale and look at a few, uh, nasty comments that came my way on, uh, social media, um, That'll because be of fun. how, because of how I viewed the stock and my outlook on the stock. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll, I'll open it up to you guys and, uh, well, you, you know the nasty stock. comments are mostly from me and Ryan, though, right? <laughs> Probably. And Brett. Brett's part of that. Uh, our burn, that our burner too, accounts. Or just directly from us. What am I talking about? There yeah, was no, one I'm, comment, though, that said thank you for, uh, you know, warning me about this stock. Um, and I'm you know, sure you'll cool. highlight that next Your week. burner account. Yeah, yeah pat myself on the back. <laughs> My burner. No, Zebek, it is a cautionary tale. I mean, we we look back and, you know, I, I do remember one of their um, explanations for not hitting their EPS, like an earnings per share target, was actually that they had uh, increased the share count during the year, but they actually made the guidance uh, before they had issued the shares. So, and also one of their MOs, their, you know, operational the way they operated essentially was they issued shares to purchase other companies. So, I mean, first of all, they would have known it was a hollow explanation and they just didn't hit the estimate and it, and it wasn't actually close. And in terms of earnings, you look at those numbers, they never came close to hitting, no. you know, over those three years in terms of uh, actual net income. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you wouldn't expect it at a company that, you know, had raised capital and had, a, you know, cash in the bank like they did would go bankrupt. There is likely something else that's gone on here beyond that. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a cautionary tale if you don't ever make net income and don't mind the store and, that, and don't create cash flow. Um, you know, th this can happen and everybody gets excited about a story, revenue growth. But if there's no discipline to create any cash flow, it's not really a business. And in this case, this business wasn't even viable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen, I mean, Ryan and I have had so many interviews with CEOs and public companies. And you know, just like with Zebic, it was it was a great story when we're sitting down hearing about all the potential, all the opportunities. Yeah, you seemed reasonable, it's exciting, but right. Yeah. But like if I if we invested in every exciting, every time we got excited, we would we would be broke. Um, it's mm -hmm. not about the excitement. I mean, the excitement is good that there's something there to look forward to, but that's why we always take the perspective of, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to ensure that you hit some of those targets first before we decide to believe that you're going to hit your, your eventual long-term goals. And one of those targets is profitability. Like, can you build, there are a lot of companies out there that are great at growing revenues, they're great at growing, you know, EBITDA on an absolute basis, but they're really bad when it comes to generating profitability, like net earnings on the bottom line and growing that profitability. They just don't ever seem to be able to do it. So we want to see 
that a company can do that. And that's something that validates the business model and it also validates the management team. Yeah, that's why we start with profitability as a minimum criteria. And second, when we look at management, if you're going to guide you know, towards net income going forward or EPS, either hit it or exceed it, or you're going to get an X in our books. And, you know, this company several times in a row got an X because they yeah. could not hit their own stated guidance. I mean, a management team should have the most insight out of anybody in the market in terms of where they are going to be in terms of revenues, earnings in the next quarter, the next year. If you can't even hit your own targets, uh, we should lose confidence in your abilities uh, overall. And that's what we see, you know, it, and that's why they get an X. And that's why we had some red flags, despite the fact that it did look like a great revenue growth story. Mm -hmm. you know, never and 2019 looked promising when, you know, they were into adjusted EBITDA profitability. They were into bottom line net income profitability, but, yeah. you know. But even then they still point. missed their net income target, right? Within that, that is year. Correct. Even, that is correct. Yeah, By two and a half. And million. it was, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it was. 50% 50, 50 below what they actually thought they were going to hit. It wasn't insignificant, right? So, Correct. you know, and, and the pattern continued. So if the pattern starts and continues, I would, you know, you, you, you don't go anywhere near a company like that. And, uh, you know, this is the extreme example of what can happen in those cases. So let's move to a question we got from our mailbag on uh, the Ukraine-Russian war, how it impacted agricultural medical supplies, the impact of farming yields, the effect on grocery prices, et cetera, et cetera. Brett's done some work on that to answer that question. So let's hit the mailbag. For my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. All right. All right. So we got a question from Tyler K. Thanks, who asked, Tyler. Yes, thank you. And please send your questions in. We love to go through them. We love to um, look at them, despite how much uh, Ryan groans and moans when we get them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we put up the crusty reference, yeah, though, don't we? I, I don't think Brennan or uh, Aaron have seen that one yet, so they'll enjoy no, it. No, they got to see yeah, it. Yeah, they'll, they'll get to see it later. All right. So Tyler K asked how the Ukraine-Russia war impacted agriculture and medical supplies, the impact of farming yields, and the effect on your grocery prices. So the Russian invasion of Ukraine had an immediate impact on prices, notably on grains and energy, as they are major exports for both of the countries. Prices were rising already across much of the world, but following the initial invasion, prices spiked. Wheat prices shot up nearly 50%, potash, a key ingredient for fertilizer, by 50%, and crude oil by roughly 30%. However, these commodity prices have come down closer to the pre-invasion levels over the past few months. Grain yields have been higher in Canada, Russia, and the U.S. Canada particularly had a bad yield last year, which contributed to the rising prices before the invasion. And now that that's lapsed, we're starting to see that prices from Canada have been coming down. Ukraine has seen a significant decrease, though, in the expected wheat yield of 38% due to the war. But yield forecasts have been going up slightly over the past few months, but they're still significantly lower compared to last year in the pre-invasion numbers. But just because the crops are producing does not mean prices will immediately come down or even over time. In July 2022, the Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and the UN agreed to open a safe passage corridor over the Black Sea for grain exports. The corridor was the core reason why grain prices fell to their pre-invasion level. So, yeah, there we are. <laughs> Sorry, had it on the wrong slide. Uh, so, the food as a whole has increased 9.8% since last year. Some notable changes are flour and flour-based mixes increased by 23.5%. This is due to being a near commodity, so they're essentially they're moving very closely aligned with the commodity prices where some products won't move close to commodity prices. So you'll have your very processed foods, your pre-packaged meals, they move on their own schedule. They don't really follow commodities. But 
unlike the grains, pork has actually decreased in prices. This is primarily due to pork was already being a higher price, but not seeing that increase is also a bit nice. As well, just a reminder that CPI is an average, so regional variance may occur. So don't be complaining to me when you're in Vancouver and you've seen prices soar. <laughs> yeah, I, you know who I'm targeting that at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aaron's right. is, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're both going insane. All right, going forward, assuming the current trends continue in the underlying commodity prices, foods on a whole will start to plateau with maybe some small increases or they'll start to subside and slowly drop. Don't expect sudden drops like we saw in the rising. Expect slow drops, particularly in those near commodity prices like flour and less of those prepackaged meals. On a quick note, because Tyler asked about it, on medical supplies, unlike food supplies and energy supplies, medical supplies are not impacted by the invasion very much. Ukraine and Russia are essentially non-players in the market on the global whole. Canada only saw a 4.4% increase in health and personal costs. So that's below your CPI. So it's compared to other things, you're seeing less, even though I know certain medical supplies have seen spikes. That's generally due to supply issues which can be solved quite quickly if supply is able to be increased or it can just never be supplied on the other hand. All right. Yeah, sorry. Cats. Yeah, this is this is going to a great saving. Cats coming in and uh, sneaking around as well. But uh, that being said, the Russian medical industry, you're not going to be seeing prices. So if you are listening to us from Russia, you're the one person who is, prices are going to be increased as Sanctions and companies in general are pulling out of the country, causing logistics and price increases. And I hope that answers your question, Tyler. I'll open that up to you guys. And and to the many Russians who are viewing this right now, because we we pull very highly in the the Russian segment right now. So we're we're glad we we added them to the sanction list. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. eggs were up 11 percent, eh? Yes, I put that in just for you. Brennan, literally, just to let everybody in on the uh, the running joke, and the, Brennan literally eats 15 eggs a day. So it's not a joke. Not this is it's a not even a joke. Him. A couple yeah, eggs. It's not a even, no. A couple eggs yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a super fruit, I'm telling is you. a couple. <laughs> it's, yes, no, it's good. Okay, well, no, but we... Yeah, I think that was, it was a great summary for that. And mm-hmm. I, I think Tyler should be very thankful. And uh, and now I, I learned that that's why everything flour and flour-based was up so mm-hmm. much in the past year. Mm-hmm. And that's why when uh, the family's baking around here, it's 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 running my wallet dry. So I guess that's what happened. Yeah, it's going to be interesting go- to see what, uh, you know, fertilizer prices do too here. Like, I mean, I know that they have been pulling back. Um, there was uh, an interesting fertilizer company that we've been, you know, looking at and monitoring, um, mm. but it's, yeah. it becomes delicate. Out when, of country, like, right? Yes, is what you're talking exactly. About. Yeah. yeah. You know, the company that I'm talking mm-hmm. about, they're out of country, but you know, it becomes delicate when, you know, you're putting your capital at work in a business where they are going to see, you know, the potentially the price of fertilizer come back from you know, very, very elevated prices. Very um, similar to yeah. the grain trajectory. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even energy, they're all very correlated right now. So commodity markets are just as a whole just volatile. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, well let's let's I think we can move on to I'm gonna do a little educational segment here. Uh we're gonna talk about bear markets. Um I'll give it basically a primer on bear markets. So bear markets are really such a scary topic. For most investors, the word bear is akin to mentioning the name Voldemort in the world of Harry Potter or to Brennan the, mentioning the concept of a girlfriend, something that's <laughs> wow. really surrounded by fear and certainly something to hide from. Now, the <laughs> the reality is uh, steep. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Anyways, the reality is steep or sustained drawdowns in stock markets are absolutely a fact of investing life. Markets go through cycles, always have and always will. It's also true that despite being inevitable and unpleasant, bear markets are not entirely all bad. In fact, those looking to deploy capital long term, they can be tremendous long term opportunities. 
let's get into why. I don't know if you guys know why it's called a bear market. So believe it or not, the term bear market originates with pioneer bearskin traders. The country in, in the U.S., the country's early traders would sell skins they'd not received or paid for because the traders hoped to buy the fur from the trappers at a lower price than what they sold it for. Bears became synonymous with a declining market. There is, however, another alternative explanation, according to Wall Street lore, that is that bears attack by swiping their claws downwards, similar to the downward trend of a declining market. But if we go back in time, it, it is essentially the first definition or, or reason why. Uh, so how do we define a bear market? Quite simply, a bear market is when the broad market index, such as, say, the S&P 500, falls by 20% or more from its peak. So by this definition, are North American major markets in a bear? The answer is yes. The NASDAQ Composite Index entered a bear market on March 7th when it closed 20% below its November 19th, 2021 high. The S&P 500, for its part, entered a bear market on June 13th, 2022, when it finished the session more than 20% below its January 3rd, 2022 record close. The Dow in the US held out the longest, not entering a bear market until just September 26, 2022, recently, when it closed below 29,439. So in Canada, the S&P TSX Composite or the Canadian index is now down approximately 20% from its March 2022 highs, but it is uh, juxtaposed to the other indexes only down about 14.32% year to date. Now, basically every component segment of the index is down aside from energy, which has been powered by higher oil and gas and extreme outperformance there. However, this has started to break down and roll over and it's leading the market lower right now. So before you say, wow, Canadian markets are doing so great, if we pull it back more than just really year to date, you look back five years, for example, the Canadian markets are up in the range of 15%. Uh, over the past five years, where the NASDAQ, for example, even despite those significant losses, is up 58%. So how do bear markets occur? Well, since 1932, or like how many have occurred, on average, they occur, sorry, every 56 months. So that's about every four years and eight months, according to S&P Dow Jones indices. Now, how long do these last? The average length of the bear market since 1929 is just 9.6 months. That's according to Ned Davis's research. True, these months will be agonizing, but consider the bright side. Bears don't live as long as bulls. Indeed, since 1929, the average lifespan of a bull market is 2.7 years. So bear market 9.6 months, bull market 2.7 years on average. Now, the average declines during a bear market. Since 1929, the S&P 500's average bear market decline stands at 33.5%, according to Dow Jones market data. Now, where are we in terms of North American markets today? Where are they down from their highs in terms of uh, uh, the negative side? NASDAQ is down 35%, uh, so slightly above the average. The S&P 500, however, is only down 25.3%, so below the average drawdown in terms of bear markets historically. So I'm going to give you some more, more random thoughts on bear markets. What is the worst bear market in history? That belongs to the bear market that began just ahead of the Black Monday that precipitated the crash of 1929. It was the worst to date. This bear from September 1929 to June 1932 resulted in an 86.2% loss for the S&P 500, or the S&P at the time. Other historical bears aren't even close, including the 56.8% decline in the 2007-2009 crash when the financial crisis unleashed uh, or ushered in the Great Recession, or the 49.1% tech drop from 2000 to 2002, when the dot-com stocks collapsed, or the 48.2% drop that was drawn out decline that started in 1973 through the fall of 1974. 
during this period, there was an Arab oil embargo that sent oil prices soaring. The so-called Nifty 50 stock sank and Richard Nixon resigned his presidency. Again, all these pale in comparison to the 1929 Great Depression bear. So what about history's shortest bull? Do any, or bear, sorry. Do you guys know history's shortest bear? Does anybody know? Um, no. Wasn't there like a flash crash and... We just experienced it. Yeah, I was going to say recently. it was, co- it was yes, COVID. Yes, yeah. yes, it was. We just experienced it. Yeah. It was the 2020 downturn that prompted by the pandemic-related shutdowns and uncertainty. Stock prices fell for 33 days before returning, returning to growth. I think this will also likely go down as the strangest bear due largely to the V-shaped recovery following. Now, our final thoughts here. The stock market is the early warning indicator. Um, it starts declining. In this case, it did in mid-November 2021 in the U.S., long before a recession actually hits. On the flip side, markets typically bottom long before it ends. Using the last significant recession as an example in 20, or 2009, the financial world could not have been had a more pathetic outlook on March 9th of that year. The S&P 500 had fallen 57% since the bear crash began in 2007. And pessimism just reigned supreme. Nobody, people were swearing off stocks. But what happened on the next day, on that day, essentially? The stock market suddenly turned around and embarked on the longest bull run in history. By 2013, the S&P 500 gained back all the losses of the Great Recession. So where are we from a valuation perspective? There's not yet blood in the streets, but we're starting to see value where we've not seen it in nearly five years other than, of course, that flash crash that we talked about in 2020. Uh, come to, I would say, <laughs> come to our seminar and, and you know, we'll tell you where we think the valuations are. We're going to be uh, introducing these seminars uh, probably in the next podcast, but we will have those uh, information on that. And we're going to talk about where we think the valuations are, where the opportunities are, and what to avoid in the markets right now. Yeah, good. So any comments on bears? Yeah, I just I think that the the thing everybody investors typically see investing as an effort to avoid bear markets to try and, you know, get out of the market before it goes down and then get back in before it starts going up. And that's really just a fool's game. I mean, it doesn't work in practice. So one of the big things I think that people really have to focus on is that bear markets are, you know, they're a temporary thing. So if you're fully invested, Really, as long as you're in great companies, all you need to do is, is sit tight. There's not really anything you need to do. Yes, you're going to see um, the value of your portfolio go down temporarily. But as long as you're in solid stocks, these will be the first companies to recover. Especially if they're um, paying you dividends, well. right? Yeah, I mean, Ryan, you 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 talked about how um, the, the bear market um, associated with the Great Depression was the biggest bear market in history. But what happened after that right it was one of the biggest yeah. booms in history so it's 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 you know the great recession it was the longest bear market or bull market after that you know mm-hmm. probably no, exactly. went on far too long but so but it's yeah. a temporary thing if you're not fully invested um there's opportunities then to deploy capital when some great companies are are trading at depressed prices yeah and there's a, a couple of companies we'll talk about and we're highlighting kind of to our clients now that, you know, haven't been this cheap in 20 years, right? And, you know, on a cash flow earnings basis and, you know, businesses you'd like to own for the next three to five years, whether or not this is the exact bottom, uh, unlikely, but uh, trying to time the exact point to invest in these companies, better to identify really quality, high quality companies, start layering into those positions by a 25% stake of your entire investment. If a 10,000 is what you put in each individual stock, buying 2,500 uh, of a great company right now and layering into that over the next you know, six to 24 months uh, is a good strategy. Uh, what you shouldn't do is stick your head in the sand and ignore your portfolio in a bear market. Like there are companies you can add to in, in those times. And you know, if they're paying you dividends, you know, maybe an on paper loss, but if it's a really good company, they typically recover over the long term and that's what we're looking and if you want to add to some of those companies there's many companies that we're looking at we've been looking at for five plus years that we want to own they have not been at a price that 
gives us the value that we want to see that growth at a reasonable price. We're starting to see that now, which is more exciting. So we can add to those companies to our client portfolios over the next uh, six to 24 months. Yeah. And you know, okay. just on that, if I could just expand a little bit on the bear market, it is interesting. No. Like I've been seeing articles talking about young investors, new young investors swearing off the stock market now and wanting to cash out. Um, you know, Ryan has brought up the analogy many times to me where it's like, you know, if steak is on sale or whatever's on sale in, in the grocery store, you go and buy it. Whereas, you know, when the stock market comes on sale, people get scared and they want to sell. Um, so I do think that it is interesting, you know, that we are seeing younger investors um, who, you know, bought potentially at peaks. They're now beginning to swear off the stock market. Um, you know, I don't know how long. Yeah, and when the actually... market starts doing well, again, then they'll start jumping right back in. Yeah, so, and, and yeah. they did the exact opposite. The goes yeah. Down. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it is yeah. interesting they... looking at the psychology and the behavioral finance of it. Oh, without a doubt. On the upside, they're adding for fear of missing out, right? So it's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Uh, you know, when you see uh, people swearing off stocks, that's when you start buying. But I mean, you still got to identify. The most important thing is identifying the right companies, not really timing them. Mm -hmm. And like, if I could All just, right. like, this is okay. just a, no, a yes. headline. We're good. From... We're good. Let's move on. <laughs> go ahead, Tom, <laughs> what do you have to say? <laughs> no, I'm done. What? No, 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 we, we want no, to hear it now. It's just a headline saying that a quarter of Canadians are looking to cash out of their investments, a survey finds. That's all. And then I was oh, just God. reading this yeah. Bloomberg article. My apologies. Anyway. Hopefully it goes up to 50% because then we'll really know to, it'll be a great time to buy. So that was a Bloomberg article saying a quarter are looking, they're doing a survey. Yeah, there's they did a survey um, conducted by personal finance comparison website Finder. Um, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. Anyways, we can move on though. Cause, uh, yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> thank you. is that young investors or is it just, I think that that investors? is just all investors. Yes. That is what they're saying. I'd have to read more. Maybe we'll talk about it next week, but, uh, yeah. yeah. People typically do the wrong things at the wrong times in the market. So yeah, I mean, that that's an indication there that, uh, you know, you may start to be nearer to a bottom than, uh, yeah. and one more but, thing. Yeah. Again, identifying the right companies. That's enough, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, let's move on. Micron Technologies. Okay. All right. Or technology. Getting, uh... They only have one technology, apparently. Micron Technology. It's not technology. It's a small technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's a portfolio of technologies. It's time we answer a question on your stock. In a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Okay, so we're going to talk about Micron. We received a question from a listener, uh, and the question was, what did, what did our listener have to say? Greg from Delta said, what's going on with Micron? It's a growing technology company and trades six times earnings. Is this a value opportunity? So that's what we're going to explore today. And Micron's a company I've been keeping an eye on because uh, one of the reasons is because it's in the chip space. Um, I like to know what's going on in the chip space. I find that an interesting area, um, but also because, yes, the fundamentals have looked very strong recently. So um, let's get into this. Micron Technology, it trades under the symbol MU on the NASDAQ, trading about $53 per share right now. It's a near $60 billion market cap company. And what they do is they design, manufacture, and sell memory and storage products globally. So they're a computer chip manufacturer. They're particularly strong in the storage and memory segments. And some of the end markets that they service are PC, mobile, data center, industrial, and automotive. So the, the question posed was specifically about Micron's growth and current valuation. Well, the company recently issued its Q4 results for the fiscal year 2022 on September 29th. And the full year performance was pretty good across the board. Revenue was up about 11%, margins increased, operating income up 35%, and earnings per share up 26% uh, to $8.35. So good, strong performance across the board. If we look at the earnings for the year 835, compare that to the $53 share price, we're looking at a price-to-earnings valuation of about 6.4 times. So what, what gives? The company grew its earnings by 26% um, over the last year, and it trades at six times earnings. 
So the problem right now that we need to take a look at here is that um, it really actually doesn't trade at six times earnings. It trades, in fact, at closer to 170 times earnings right now. So the company's annual performance was very strong, but it ended the year with a weak Q4. Fourth quarter revenue was down 20%. Margins declined. Operating income was down 40, 46%. And earnings per share were down about 40%. So uh, although the company had a very strong year, they, they ended it on a weak note. And there's a couple comments from the, from the conference call here that I decided to highlight to give you an idea of what happened during the quarter. Um, one of these memory and storage, the memory and storage industry environment has deteriorated sharply since our last earnings call. So this is the CEO. Uh, our, our fiscal Q4 financial results were impacted by rapidly weakening customer demand and significant customer inventory adjustments across all end, mar end markets. And they mentioned a few things. They mentioned inflation. They mentioned the Ukraine war, a couple other factors as well. But for Q1 2023, so the next quarter, they put out guidance of earnings per share of $0.04 cents to $0.10 cents for the quarter. And that's going to be compared alongside $2.15 from the quarter in the year before. So as we can see, uh, the outlook, at least in the near term, not looking great. I pulled up the analyst estimates. Analysts are estimating about $0.23 cents per share in earnings for the current fiscal year, then a recovery to 391 next year, but the current fiscal year about 29 cents. And this would make sense if you're going off of the company's Q1 guidance um, and you're assuming that things don't materially strengthen through the course of 2023, that's right around where they would be. So $53 share price, uh, 29 cents in earnings, you know, you're getting up over 150 times, 170 times on a price to earnings multiple. So certainly not quite what it appears, unfortunately. And I would not call Micron a value uh, opportunity. What's really important to understand about Micron is that it's, in fact, a very cyclical company. If you look at the historical revenue and earnings profile, there's big swings, um, fa fairly sizable cyclical swings um, in, the, in the growth going from positive to negative, higher, higher revenue to lower re revenue. In some periods, lack of profitability, although typically profitable. So it's really not a value play. It's a cyclical play. And you're looking at a year in front of us where earnings are going to decline fairly significantly. But when we look out over the over the midterm, uh, there are a lot of long-term growth drivers that I find interesting about Micron and some other companies in the chip space. So just in terms of what are, what's driving demand long-term, artificial intelligence, cloud, electric vehicles, 5G. So essentially technological innovation is demanding is driving the demand for chips. Uh, there's also a trend of reshoring semiconductor manufacturing capacity. So Micron has announced their intent to invest $40 billion um, through the end of the, in, of the decade into leading edge memory manufacturing in the US. And this is contingent on some legislation um, passed federally in the United States. On the 4th of October, the company also announced a historic investment of up to $100 billion to build a mega fab uh, facility in central New York. So a lot going on in the future. Um, it's really the near term that is that is very uncertain for the company. Now, another statement that, that they made in their conference call, they said following a weak first half of fiscal 2023, so that's the next two quarters, we expect strong revenue growth in the second half of fiscal 2023 um, as demand rebounds following substantial improvement in customer inventories. So they're thinking that things are going to start to recover about halfway through the year. But if you look through the conference call, they're admitting there's just a lot of uncertainty. And the fact of the matter is they don't know when things are going to start to recover. If we're just talking about an inventory issue, then things should probably start to recover um, you know, mid next year, as long as the economy remains strong. But if we're talking about a decline in uh, consumer demand, underlying demand, then it could potentially take much longer than that. Just a quick look at the company's five-year stock price, stock chart price. Uh, the, the price is down 45% year to date in 2022. And you can see over the five years, you know, it's really not up that much, very volatile stock. And this reflects, as I said, the underlying cyclical nature of the company's um, financial performance. So what is our take on Micron? Well, we see significant near-term uncertainty and the weak management outlook for at least the next two quarters and potentially longer is a major concern. 
long term, the, the demand drivers do look strong, driven by technology innovation and the reshoring of chip manufacturing in North America. What we would say right now is that it is a potential long term buying opportunity, but there's absolutely no hurry to, to fill up a sizable position in this company. Um, you, you really have to look look at the company with the time horizon of at least three to five years. It's very uncertain what's going to happen over the next one year to even two years. Um, there could be further downside in the price. So for those investors that are interested in taking a position, they're looking at this long term, they want to get in now, I would say start at a very small position size, take a look at what happens over the next quarter or two, and then make a decision then whether or not you want to increase your position. That is a really good summary. And yeah, I mean, I think that's why the the multiple is so low on the stock right now on a trailing basis, because, you know, you have the, the last quarter weaker and then uncertainty going forward. Is it an inventory issue or is there some systemic long-term or midterm demand issues? And if there is, then, you know, that's why you can see, uh, you could see earnings fall off a cliff and that then suddenly the PE of six goes to a PE of 40 or 50, or if they lose money, then, you know, there is no. So, that, I mean, that, that is the, your cyclical company that can happen in those businesses. Often, um, it can look the cheapest when in, in terms of its multiple and it's most expensive, which sounds strange, I know, but it, it's because you've re- reached peak earnings in a cycle and then it falls off. Got to be looking forward. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. All right, that's going to end it this week. Uh, we're be excited to launch our webinars and seminars. We're doing uh, online live webinars as well as in-person seminars for our VIP clients and anybody who wants to become a VIP, which is a great time given the markets are coming on sale. So let's talk about those next week. Again, smash that subscribe button. We'll keep bringing out the content for you. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes uh, and add us to your podcast wherever you listen to those podcasts. Thank you very much. And I wish you all profitable investing. Great. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.